All right, guys, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, I'm going to remind you we've been working our way through the Gospel of John for several months now. We're up to chapter 15. We're in that section of the Gospel. It starts in chapter 13, goes all the way to chapter 17. It's 25% of the Gospel, but it's, it's John's record of what happened in one evening, the Thursday evening, where they were in the upper room and then making their way up to the Mount of Olives where he would be betrayed. So it includes a lot of teaching from Jesus that is basically what we need to know because he's getting ready to leave. He tells them we already know that he's left. And it's encouragement because, again, our purpose is to get to know him, but as we know him, we get to know ourselves. And really, he's trying to tell us what we need to do while he's away. And I think that's so important when we come to chapter 15. Chapter 15, most scholars believe, is not being communicated in the upper room because if you look at the last verse uh, of uh, chapter 14, he says, let us go, meaning we're going to leave the upper room. And so the very next thing he's going to talk about is a grapevine. And obviously they must be seeing something so he could use an illustration so they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. And so what we're going to talk today is about the relationship that we have with Jesus. Now, why do we need to talk about that? Well, well, I find that a lot of us have a limited understanding about what Christianity is in its trueness and what it is for you and I. And so I want to give you a couple of points here, okay? And I want you to help, help you to understand, Okay? First of all, it's common to have a, a limited understanding concerning our faith. It's really common for most people to really, can I say it, sometimes have no clue about what true faith is or true Christianity is. And, and it's a lot of times because of our church culture. Because if we were to sum up church culture and Christianity and just a few things, here's what it is. It's, it's basically a few things. Show up, meaning attend Sunday school church. Um, give, okay, so contribute and serve. And then the rest of the week, do the right thing. And so we, we kind of break it down into those things. And so we, we, we want, when we want to introduce people to Christianity, the most common thing we tell people is, especially if you have a loved one who's not saved, we'll say, I want them to, I, I, I'm trying to get them to come to church. If they could only come to church, we, we say things like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that, but it, it, it reveals something. It reveals our misunderstanding. Our misunderstanding that the main thing is church. Well, that's not the main thing. When you want people to come to Jesus, it's not so that they can become a part of the church. You want them to meet who? Jesus. Do, do, do you understand? What I, you want them to have a relationship with who? Jesus. The church thing just happens after that. That's not the end-all thing. It's Jesus. 
And, and most people don't have that understanding. They, they have a sense in which it's something to do. It's something to do. And so here's the problem. So here's my second point. We often see Christianity in terms of a moral code or a service to attend. So we often see Christianity in terms of a moral code of do's and don'ts. And so depending on the church you go to, will determine how big the moral code is. So for instance, when the church that I, when I became a believer as an engineering student in South Carolina in 1985, I went to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina, and was introduced to their church culture, they, they had a bigger church code, moral code to adhere to, like dressing up, coat and tie, right haircut, no beard, women wearing dresses, carrying the right Bible, right version of the Bible, not just any Bible, but the right version. You don't go here, you don't go there. And, and so there's this moral code of what you're supposed to do and, and not do. And, 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 and what ends up happening is, is that it begins to confuse you. So everybody would recognize, well, let me ask you a question. Can you do anything for salvation? In order to come to salvation, you have to come without anything and say, here, Jesus, I have faith in you and you believe and you're saved. Does it doesn't have anything to do with you. Yeah, but somehow later in church culture, we shift from a relationship that begins with it having nothing to do with you to entering into a relationship with God where it has everything to do with you now. where it's got, quote, everything to do with whether or not you're keeping the moral code. Or a service to attend. And you would judge someone's spirituality by how, to, how, much, how often they come to church. So I remember, you know, when I went to Liberty University and studied there, of course I went to Thomas Road Baptist Church, and every year at that time, Thomas Road Baptist Church gave a perfect attendance award at the end of the year to, to the guy who showed up for every service and they got a commentary set from Liberty, Liberty Bible commentary set or, or some other thing to perfect attendance. And I remember even as a young guy thinking, does the guy even have a life? Surely some, sometimes you can't be there every Sunday, but that's what we reduce it down to, to, to a moral code or a service to attend. Now, I'm sure that as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm getting some pushback from some people in your mind. You wouldn't say that out loud, but you're thinking, I don't know, George, I don't know if I agree with you. Really? It's interesting. So I told you I'm in this Bible study, uh, was, it just ended, and we were di discussing a book that we were going through, and it was reflecting on the relationship with Jesus. And so one guy, although he accepted what we were talking about, he said, well, here's the pushback I'm getting. And he said, isn't it about what you do with the talent that you were given and the service that you're supposed to perform, and that's how you'll be rewarded, is based upon what you did with the talent you were given. And he goes to Matthew chapter 25. And so he said, you know, the relationship thing, that's nice, but it's what you're doing for God. And I said, yeah, that's a great point. 
But did you notice the guy who got disciplined? The guy with one talent. So let me read to you what he says, okay? Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not sacrificed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here is what you have. Here is what you, you, you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered sheep. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at my coming, and I would have received back my, my own with interest. All right, so what's going on there? See, George, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. That's the rebuke. No, here's what he starts off with. If you look at what the guy says, I knew you to be a hard man. This is him talking about the Lord. He had a wrong understanding of who God was. So he was afraid. I think a lot of times when we reduce it down to a moral code or, or a service to attend, we've got a wrong understanding of who God is. It's not what you do because what you do comes out of what you know. And it's about the relationship. And that's what he's going to communicate to you and I today. The most important thing isn't the moral code. It isn't being here. Now, it's important, but it comes out of something greater. It comes out of a relationship. And that's what he's going to talk about today. In fact, we're going to see it here in Jesus' illustration of some great truths in chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me at John chapter 15. We're going to focus on verses 1 to 6. It'll be up on the screen if you want to read along with me. Here's what John records Jesus saying. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide with me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Wow, this is a beautiful illustration of some great, powerful truths. I remember as a young Christian, 
going all the way back to 1985-86, I came across this passage. It became my favorite passage of Scripture. I even, at that time, memorized the first 10 verses because these are powerful truths because they communicate something that you and I need to grasp about the relationship with Jesus. So let, let's talk about it together. First of all, what he's going to do is, verses 1 to 3, he's going to describe the relationship. He's going to give you a description of the relationship, and then he's going to give a call to go deeper. Remember, I've, I've been telling you, I've been reading another book, and a guy talked about knowing Jesus kind of like an iceberg, and all we, when you see an iceberg, you've got the little bit of ice sticking across up out of the water, and that's what we think is the iceberg, but actually there's so much more underneath the water. And he said, that's kind of like Jesus. What we know about Jesus is the top of that iceberg, but there's so much more to know about Jesus, and the reality is, is we've got to go deeper, deeper with him. And that's what he's going to call us to, okay? So let's take a look. First of all, the relationship described. So let's start off verse 1. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. King James would say husbandman, okay? Uh, basically gardener. So Jesus is saying he's the true vine. Now what's he talking about? Is he talking about the kind of vine that grows along the side of your building or something? No, he's talking about a grapevine. Okay? He's talking about a grapevine and his father is the, the vine dresser, the gardener. So he's, he's wanting you and I to understand that the relationship with Jesus is pictured as a grapevine. So he's going to use something that they can see for you and I to understand the relationship that you have with him. Okay, because remember, I told you, we think in terms of, because of our misunderstanding, that our relationship with him is based upon actions. It starts off with his action, and the end result is my actions that I do afterwards. That's not what he's going to talk about here. The relationship with him is something so much more, something so much deeper, something so much more personal. And that's the key word, isn't it? Personal. The relationship with Jesus is so much more personal than that. And I would actually use another word. Intimate. It's so much more intimate than we realize. And how he's going to illustrate that is he's going to picture it as a grapevine. And so here, here's what he wants us to see. His followers are seen as those who find life in him and those who do not. So here's what he says. He's going to use the illustration that you and I are branches. Look with me at what he says here, verse 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he's going to say, okay, if I'm using this vine, and it's going to describe the relationship that, that we have with each other, it is, I am the true vine, I am the source, and you are a branch. You are intimately connected with me, but if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not following me, you get clipped off. But if you do, he prunes it. 
so that it'll bear more fruit. So he's talking about that we find life in him or we don't. Because here's the reality. Your life is connected to Jesus. And so the life that you need to live your life comes through him, not through the actions that you do. And so here it explains another thing. He says God promotes fruitfulness in our life. In, in, God promotes fruitfulness in our relationship with Jesus through difficulty. So, okay, so let me, let me use, I, I don't have a grapevine in my yard, but I do have a couple of apple trees and a couple of hundred-year-old rock-hard winter pear trees, okay? And so once a year, I get the job because I guess that's my job. I have to go out there and prune them. So what do I do? I go out there and I clip off. I've learned the term, the suckers. You know, the branches that are called the suckers. Or, and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pruning them. And it, and, and, and it looks like I'm hacking away at this tree. That, that's what it looks like to me, is that I'm... It looked really nice to me before, but I'm going in there and putting some serious hurting on it. Why? So that when harvest time comes, there's some really nice fruit. And last year, Lori had a great abundance. And all the 20 years of living there, the best abundance of pears we've ever had. I mean, she her hand was hurting after doing all that canning, coring those pears. And they taste good. Why didn't you help her? I was busy. So... <laughs> She's not happy with me. So, um, so this is what he does. He prunes us. How does he prune us? The difficulties in life. You know, I, I remember when I first became a believer, the question that we wrestled with back in the early 80s because we were coming out of times just like this. If, you're, if you live long enough, what we're going through economically right now, we've been through it before, it was the 70s, Remember? Back in the early 80s when I became a believer, the question that was often commonly talked about at that time was, why does God allow suffering? Now, we quit talking about that question through the years, and I think it was because of things were going really well. Well, now we're asking that question again, right? Because things are tough again. Why, why does God allow suffering? Well, in a passage like this, God allows suffering in our life because it's through the difficult things that we face. He prunes us so that we, what? Bear more fruit. What kind of fruit? Character. The fruit of the Spirit. And it's through that relationship with Him. And so you and I find our life in Him, and as we grow in Him, he, the husbandman, that is the God the Father, He prunes us so that our relationship with Him cultivates more. And I know that. You know what? I'm, 1985, I came to Christ. It is now... 2022, I've been a believer that long now, but I'm going to tell you something. I feel like I'm in a 
deeper relationship with Jesus now than I was then, even though I seemed to be more excited about Jesus in those earlier years as compared to now. But the deeperness of my relationship with him is because of what he brought me through through all those decades since. And that with every difficulty and every struggle that I went through with him, I have a greater understanding of who he is and the love that he has for me. Because he pruned me. And he's pruning you. And some of you right now are getting pruned. It ain't pleasant. It's a good thing the trees don't talk back to me when I'm clipping those branches. But we find life in him. And so he promotes fruitfulness in our relationship with Jesus through the difficulty. Now you get to verse 3, and it seems like an odd verse to put in, because here's what he says. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're like, well, okay, I understand the pruning part. What does he talk about you're already clean? Well, our, our English language doesn't bring it out well. The word clean there is kind of like a same term. It's only used here in reference to pruning. You were initially already pruned through what? His word. Especially when you got saved, right? Because the moment you got saved, you got changed. So here's my point. Our pruning or cleansing began with Jesus and his word. So the moment you became a new a believer in Jesus Christ, several things happened to you. The Holy Spirit entered into your life and sealed you and guaranteed you unto the redemption of Christ. At that point, you were given a new mind. And he changed you. And you know that. Some of the things you did back when you first got saved, you gave up and you will never do those again. I remember, you know, I was in the party scene and everything. And when I came to Christ as a 19-year-old, I gave up the alcohol. I gave up the cigarettes. I gave up all those things. You say, oh, that's really great. No, I mean, he's still working on a lot of things because the attitudes took a whole lot longer than that stuff was easy. Attitudes are different. But he's changing me. He's still pruning me. And so that pruning and that cleansing began with Jesus and his word. Because we have an intimate relationship with him. So that's where we're all at. All on the surface, that's where we're all at. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I'm trying to say. You have a relationship with Jesus that is close, that is intimate, and you find your life in him. That's reality. Now, what do we do with that? You go deeper. Here's what he tells you to do. He tells you to go deeper. He doesn't give you a moral code. That's not interesting. He's describing a relationship with him that our life is found in him. So what does he do now? He's going to describe to us, starting in verse 4, that you and I need to go deeper in our relationship with him. We need to get to know him better. 
We've got to do what it takes to get to know him. Except he uses a word that is a big Bible word, abide. We don't use that in our language every day anymore. We don't say, hey, I'm going to go and have lunch with Bruce and abide with Bruce at lunch. If I used that kind of terminology, you would say, what? But it's, it's in the scripture, abide. Abide, abide with him. It's, it's an old hymn that is sung, abide with me, comes out of this verse. Uh, I always find it interesting that they sing, if you go to English soccer games, they all sing abide with me at a soccer game. I don't know why, it's not, it's not a religious service, maybe it is to them, but uh, abide. So go deeper. So here's what I want you to see, okay? The call to go deeper. There's two things I want you to see here. Look with me at verse 4 and 5. And listen to what Jesus is saying, okay? Enter into what Jesus is saying here. Here's what he says. Abide in me, and I in you. All right, let me translate that. Have a relationship with me, and I have a relationship with you. Have a relationship with me, and I have a relationship with you. Abide can be translated remain or rest in. You find your essence in your relationship with me, and I have that kind of relationship with you. That's what he says. Abide with me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine. So here's what he says. All right, so when you think about, think in your mind, picture of grapevine, grapevine growing up. It's got its branches. Off the branches come the grapes. That branch can't bear any fruit on its own unless it draws its nourishment and everything from the vine, right? No branch, no grapevine branch bears fruit on its own. It's got to be attached to the vine. You are not going to accomplish anything in your life, not in terms of doing, but in terms of who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, unless you are abiding in the vine, resting in, connected to the vine. Because no branch can bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Let's go on. Verse 14, he says, excuse me, verse 4, unless you abide in me. Here it is, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. So again, he's making that delineation. I'm the vine, you are the branches. So get, get, realize where you are in this relationship. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So if we have that interconnectedness going on there, we're going to bear fruit. You're going to be who Jesus wants you to be. For without me, he says, you can do nothing. I mean, our lives would be meaningless without him. And then to help us to understand, he says, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, two things I want you to see here. First one, here's this. Go deeper with Jesus because you can do nothing without him. Go deeper. 
So when I think about my life, so I'll use me. I, can't, I won't use you, I'll use me. So when I think about my life and, and what it is that I'm working on in my life and in my character, I can't do it on my own. Ever tried that? Ever tried to overcome some quirkiness on your part, on your own? How'd you do? Oh, I got control of it for a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Then it, what, bursts forth right back out, and you're even more quirkier. You tried to suppress it on your own. You can't do it. How does change happen in your life? Does change happen by outwardly conforming to things, or does change happen because you have to change on the inside, right? Transformation takes place from the inside out. So as you go deeper with him, he changes you. He, he produces the fruit in your life, the character in your life, the person who you're supposed to be. Because if you don't go deeper with him, you can't do anything. I, I, I'm always amazed at how frustrated Christians are with how their Christian life is going and, and it just feels like I can't overcome this and I can't, I'm having this difficulty and this struggle and I'm never getting anywhere. But then when you dig deeper with them and say, well, how's your time with the Lord? You find out they don't have a time with the Lord. They're trying to achieve some moral code. And let's just be honest. You know, I've been around a long time You can still do all the right things and still be rotten to the core, right? And not change at all. And it's about change. And becoming the person he wants you to be. And, but that can only happen because you have the relationship with him. So here's what he's calling you. He's calling to you. I say it's go deeper. His words are, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me. Come have that relationship. I'll have that relationship with you. How many times does he use that kind of language in the, in the New Testament? I will come and make my table with you. That's a level of intimacy. I will, I will meet with you. Old Testament, return to me and I will return to you, the Father says to Israel. It's the same thing he says, come to me. But he's the last person we go to, right? He's the last person. Because we're trying to figure it out on our own. Or we, we talk to our friends and we have our group think together about how we're supposed to do it. You know? And we search the internet. When he keeps saying all along, I'm right here. George, I'm right here. I've been here, George. Come talk to me. I know what you're going through. I know your pain. I know you're hurt, George. Come talk to me. It's an intimate relationship. But he also wants to stress something because sometimes not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. 
And not everybody who says they're a follower is a follower. So, so there's a little bit of a distinction here. When, he, when he's using this illustration, he's using it with these 12 because one of the 12 was, was yes, they were branches, but they were good branches who were attached to the vine, but there was also one branch who was dead, and that was who? Judas, right? So, so do you understand here? Here's what he says. Look with me at verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, so if anyone doesn't keep pursuing that relationship with me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Here's the point. Jesus stresses that false followers will face destruction. Look, coming to church doesn't save you. Can, can we get that, get that, make that clear? Coming to church doesn't save you. Giving and an offering doesn't save you. Saying the right holy words does not save you. Praying so many different times does not save you. That, that is not what saves you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I find these to be the scariest verses in the Bible. You ever had verses in the Bible that scare you? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, wait a minute, hold on. Okay? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That has got to be, that's got to scare you, right? Here you are, you go to be before Jesus, and they're like, oh, Lord, here I am, I love you, I'm ready. And he's like, who are you? Who are you? I don't know you. That's got to be scary, right? And he says, Get away from me, you who practice lawlessness. So, okay, wh where do we go with this, George? Wh wh what, what, is, what is the basis of this? Well, the question is, you've got to ask yourself is this. Again, remember our misunderstanding. We misunderstand Christianity to be this moral code that we need to keep or a service to attend. That is not it at all. The basis of Christianity is a relationship. How did that relationship start? Jesus going to the cross dying for us, doing it all for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves, reestablishing, reconciling us to God, reestablishing that relationship, so now you have this relationship. So here's what he's saying to you. Go deeper. Grow in that relationship with him. We've got to do it. You know, here, here's the thing, okay, so our lives are filled with relationships. Everybody knows that, right? So in my life, I had the relationship with Lori for over 30 years now, 29 years of marriage. I have my relationship with my kids, my, 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 my family, my friends, different level of relationships. But here's the thing, relationships just don't exist on their own. I have to be actively engaged in those relationships, what, 
for it to be a relationship, right? And if I'm not, then those relationships what? Hurt, diminish. It's the same thing. You entered into a relationship with the living God. Now here's the thing. This is a give and take relationship. Abide with me and I and you is what he says. Have a relationship with me. I have a relationship with you. Because without me, you can do nothing. It is from me that you have life. So go deeper. Now that sounds scary, but you don't have to be. Why? Because you already know this. He already knows everything about you. All the bad stuff, it's already taken care of. And he loves you. And nothing can change that. So go to him. And allow him to change who you are. And he will. Let me pray for you.